on a new script right now so um there is a lot of dancing but yeah we've got um a brand new show in the works as well so okay so so tell us uh, for people that don't know you um because i just kind of jumped right in tell us uh, about who you are and um and what you do of course um well my name is emily uliberry and this is my husband raymond hello and we have been running melon lights um ballroom dance for 10 years now, we'll actually celebrate 10 year birthday of our business uh, this week. Wow, and congratulations. So that that, thank you, thank you. It started in Colorado and we moved it here about six years ago. And we work with students, we teach um, all styles of partnership dance. And our passion has always really been performance, particularly on the stage. And, um, you know, in Colorado, that meant really a lot of dance. So kind of like you were saying, where there's a lot of story in dance naturally. And we were mm-hmm. producing a lot of those shows that really didn't have any script or extremely minimal. When we came here, something shifted, I think, in our creative um, desire. And we started writing heavily scripted shows with minimal dance. 
Um, and we've had a great opportunity to perform those out here in Eureka Springs, as well as teach students and, and do all those fun things. Yeah, that's cool. And so how, uh, how did you guys come into dancing? I mean, separately before you even met, I mean, was there, did it start in childhood? Was that something just that, um, just. So I actually, um, I have an older sister. She actually lives in Eureka Springs as, as well. She'll, she'll slap me later for admitting that she's the older sister because most people can't tell. Um, but I actually, <laughs> I actually became a dancer um, in her shadow. She was a beautiful dancer and I wanted to be just like her. And so I picked up dancing when I was little, probably six, and have been dancing wow. ever since. Um, Raymond, I'll let you share your, your dance background uh well i was an only child so i did a lot of dancing just like by myself <laughs> in front of in front of the television but then uh around i don't know i was maybe 15 years old a sophomore year uh i was really into theater and then one of my uh, classmates asked me to be in her dance performance and i had really no idea what i was getting myself into but uh, i was hooked ever since then and then we actually we met in eighth grade emily and i and so really? um, we, wow. it was actually dance that kind of like created our, our our true friendship we had a we had a mutual best friend that we still have today uh but it was definitely dance that kind of sewed us together so we met at 13 and we're kind of like hey whatever like didn't really connect and it wasn't until we were 16 and ended up in the same dance class and, and then hey, it was like oh my gosh you're like my new best friend um and <laughs> yeah. so we've been dancing together ever since wow that is so great and so did you when you were taking those early dance classes, was it, um, what, what, what were you learning how to do? Was it, uh, ballet or was it tap or were there, um, I, yeah, I started in, um, kind of a, a very traditional, you know, ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop combo, kind of all the things as we got into high school and we're dancing together, it was a lot of modern dance, jazz mm -hmm. and hip hop. And we really didn't get into partnership styles. There were brief touchings on them in our high school time, but we really didn't get into that until our early 20s. We were 21 and we ended up at an interview at a dance studio where they said, you don't need any ballroom experience. We will train you to teach. And we came in feeling kind of awesome, like, okay, but we've got lots of dance experience. So and we go in. <laughs> Show up in our dance clothes, our sweatpants. Right, like not pro appropriately dressed for an interview, like more appropriately dressed for an audition. And it kind You're of like the ballroom no. dance world. <laughs> <laughs> the ballroom dance world was so different, um, and we learned so much. And that's where we really learned how to make dance not just a passion but a career. And um, and now since then, partnership dance has really become our specialty. It's it's the thing we teach the most. It's the thing we perform the most. It's really what we love to share. Yeah, well, and you have been so inspiring to me just uh, seeing your Instagram posts through, you know, we were supposed to talk back when we were in quarantine, and unfortunately that didn't happen um, because I really wanted to uh, get in tune with the artists of Eureka Springs because I think that in a lot of ways, Eureka Springs is kind of an unsung hero of, of, the, uh, of, of the art community, just, you know, full umbrella. And um, and so I really wanted to talk to you then, and I didn't get a chance. And so I'm so glad that we're talking now because actually your Instagram, um, just watching you guys dance together, I'm just like, oh, gosh, thank you. You know, I mean, after everything else you see on social media, you're like, ah, oh, this helps me breathe. This brings me love. So thank you for that. Oh, sure. 
Well, thank you for like, saying that because sometimes, you know, you're making stuff for social media content. And you're like, what are we doing? <laughs> Is this just for your mom to see? Like, <laughs> so thank you. I'm, I'm glad it brought some light and joy. <laughs> yeah. That's the hope. Well, so I was actually watching um, an old movie um, and it's called, I think it's the minor and the majors with Ginger Rogers and Ray Milland. Anyway, it's back in the 1930s. And one of the things that uh, I really have noticed, you know, when you're looking back at old movies, there was a, there was a distinct tradition of dancing together, like as couples, like that's the way before social media, before telephones, before anything else that's the way a lot of people actually made those connections at those dances um and so i i thought about you know how that how couples dancing really does create that sense of intimacy and connection you also kind of have to be vulnerable um talk a little bit about like your philosophy or, or your thinkings around um, around that? Um, well, you just gave me chills. Like, I sometimes <laughs> feel like we were born in the wrong era. I'm like, why were we born in that era where everyone just dances and that's a part of the social norm? And then I, I've come to terms with, well, because this is the era that actually needs us. Um, yeah. You know, this is where we're needed. And we, when we teach partnership dance, we probably teach about 25 different partnership dances, you know, from waltz to cha-cha to tango to foxtrot, et cetera. But what we really have come to through our own dance career and our own dance relationship as a couple is that the most powerful piece of it is the connection piece, is actually the intimacy of being in contact and communicating non-verbally. Um, yeah. and, and I think, I, I think you're so right. We're we're such a, a culture now that's just stuck on our phones or stuck on our screens or so, so busy that many couples, most couples don't dance. And that's kind of become our, our mission, um, especially as of recently, as we're transitioning a lot of our offerings to online is to help couples realize there's this whole beautiful language of connection and intimacy that, that most couples are literally missing, either because they don't bother dancing together at all or they do dance together, but they're missing a skillful piece of the language of how it actually works. It's physics in motion. There is a language behind each and every step that's taken. And so we try to work with couples now um, in that way, rather than going like, here's 89 steps from the waltz or from the cha-cha or the swing. Here's <laughs> instead, here's how you connect. Here's how, you, here's how the language actually works. Here's how you guys can communicate and actually then dance whatever kind of steps you feel like or to whatever kind of music, but, but you're getting the gold, you're getting the thing you came for, which is the connection with your partner. Yeah. Well, and you know, within, <clears throat> I, I'm single and I live alone and I've, I've realized <clears throat> just how, um, how important human connection, human touch is like the, the tactile, you know, skin to skin, you know, I miss hugging, you know, people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love to hug. And so, um that's uh that that's something that's so important right now i think um especially if you're it able really to is be with people you know yeah especially, you know <clears throat> right because you go out in public and you're like uh, you know awkwardly can i shake your okay we're not shaking hands i can't hug you okay so it's like you really do then you have to amp up the connection with the people in your bubble with the people you're at home with or you know 
that you're close to and, and get more of, of that goodness and touch connection. Yeah. So you said language. Talk a little bit about what you mean by language, dance and language. Sure. So, you know, the, obviously every, most people are familiar with the idea of lead and follower. The, the gentleman is typically the leader and the lady is typically the follower. Um, and when we first started studying ballroom dance, it was like, okay, well, sure, you learn the latest part, I learn the followers part. And we were training to teach, so you actually have to learn all of the parts. Um, but I remember it being very prescribed. It was like, okay, well, here's how his steps go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Here's how her steps go. And I remember one day asking our teacher, I was like, well, hey, can this be led or does she just have to know the steps? And he answered me, yes. And I was like, dude, that was an either or question. And he was being silly, but also actually being totally serious. And he would not explain any further to me. And so we just had to go on through our own dance experience. And it was actually when we started studying Argentine tango that all my questions got answered. And I went, everything can be led. Everything can be followed. You do not need to know a whole a, a whole vocabulary of prescribed steps where your foot goes sides and closed and forward and back, whatever, mm-hmm. um, because everything can be actually communicated through language. So the, really the only thing that we communicate non-verbally on the dance floor is direction, speed, and mood. That's it. You can, the leader can let him know, you know, the leader lets you know which direction are we going, forward, back, side, or still right here where we are. How fast are we getting there, which is where music comes into play? What are the rhythms? But really, simply, how fast are we getting there? And what's the mood? And the mood is, it's interesting because a lot of times it's the hardest thing for students to bring into their dancing, but it's also the most natural and the most human thing. You hear a song and it makes you feel a certain way. That's mood. I mean, we respond to each other's moods all the time. So the, the tone and the quality um, so the language is really actually quite simple. It's, it's physics in motion. So it's understanding how to touch, how to physically be in contact with your partner in a way that you're sensitive to their every movement. Um, it's, it, it, sound, it feels profound to me, but it's actually quite simple. Um, it just takes some practice and it takes, you said vulnerability earlier, and, and I think that's so true. You have to really come to the partnership, come to the dance floor ready to dance and kind of shed everything you have to be very present in the moment and shake off any any negative energies you might have had and and come and be clear and open and present so that I can feel with my eyes closed in a dance frame I can feel his left knee bend not because I'm touching his knee right Right. I'm not touching his knee right but because his whole body naturally shifts and is affected like a ripple effect his knee moves the whole body is affected and now we're connected in in our frame in our through our touch that I can feel that little action of a knee bending. Mm-hmm. And so it's so it's it's actually quite powerful, but I do think it takes a little more focus and presence um to learn initially. And so it can be really powerful for couples if they're willing to go, okay, yeah, I want to actually connect with you in a new way, in a more profound way and learn a language. You uh, Raymond and I often talk about having a conversation on the dance floor and we yeah. do not mean with words. Um, and so it's a really cool thing. It's fun to get to share with couples and it's definitely something that we keep doing and expanding on it. The conversation always gets to grow and evolve in your dancing. Like you've, you've never learned all the dancing. There's always more that you can do and improve. And I, and I love that. So we'll have that forever and ever. 
you said Argent Argentina. That that Argentine tango is really okay. the dance that kind of made a shift for us. So how? I mean, I don't know the ta I don't know the Argentine tango. So can you describe like so, how it? Kind sure. Of so yeah, because what happens in a lot of the dances, like let's just say waltz for a second. Um, when you go into learn waltz, you're gonna learn the box step. And you're going to learn your left foot goes forward, your right foot goes side, your left foot closes to the right foot, right? You're going to learn all these prescribed steps. And yes, then we'll get in frame, and technically the leader can lead them and the follower can follow them. But I kind of have to know that boxes and face-to-face, back-to-backs, and all reverse turns, and all of these dance terminologies are part of the waltz vocabulary. So it's much more so learned mean, and prescribed. It's kind of an individualistic kind of dance? Is that no, I, I certainly don't mean to like diminish that you like to dance well together you still need connection but it's like let me give it a oh this is perfect since we're on a writing podcast let me give it a language analogy when you learn a waltz it's almost like you've learned a bunch of phrases like where is the bathroom how are you today <laughs> hello puppy like right you've learned all these phrases and you can only write an essay with those phrases uh, but yeah. when you dance Argentine tango, you're not learning phrases, you're learning individual words, which mm -hmm. in my analogy translates as his knee bends. That's a whole word uh, unto itself. Yeah. He reaches his leg out to the left. That's another word. He lowers his hand and brings eye contact in. That's another word. So you really can create any sort of piece of writing or conversation or choreography, if you will, on the dance floor. Um, because each and every step, it's not prescribed. When we get into frame together to do something like tango, I have no idea where he will go. I don't know if the first step will be with my left or my right, if it will be oh, forward really? or back or side or closed. I have no idea. And neither do I, usually. <laughs> really, yeah. So, so it's just inspiration takes you. Wow. It's much more improvisational. And so it wasn't until we started studying Argentine tango and the world of that improvisational element opened up and we went, whoa, you can actually use this level of connection in all of the dances. Like when I get in frame for a waltz, 99% chance I will be stepping backwards on my right foot. Guarantee it. I already know that. And so, so because I know that in my mind, I can be less sensitive in my physical touch connection with him. But when I go to dance something like Argentine tango or something more improvisational, I have to be so present and so receptive because I have no idea where the first step is going to go and the second and the third and the fourth. Fascinating. Wow. Love it. Um, <clears throat> thinking about your history and starting kind of in, in, in modern dance, um, modern dance, it's, it, it tends to tell a story, right? Through, um, through however you're moving. I mean, obviously those are <clears throat> choreographed, but it's choreographed in order to tell a story, I think. Well, and I'm, I'm just speaking on behalf of modern dance that I've, I've watched and the way in which I've interpreted it. Um, what is that, what, do you find, did you find that more appealing to what, you're doing now is there a is there is it kind of an equal footing or is there um a unique difference that you could point to does that make sense yeah i i think so um i will say i do feel 
you know, back from like my modern training, I do feel more of a sense of freedom in that style of dance. Not that it's not grounded by technique because it very much is, but there is much more a sense of freedom. One in that you're typically dancing as an individual, even if you're in an ensemble of dancers, most often you're not in partnership, glued to a partner the way you are in ballroom dance. Um, And so I, I think it's, it's very freeing and very expressive in that way. And sure, there's a technique. Modern technique is often actually still rooted in ballet. I mean, there are a great number of different modern techniques. But so it's there, but there's just, you know, modern dance originally was a breaking of the mold and going, we can move however we want and however we feel. And I think it still embodies that. Um, Ballroom dance, does does not embody that as much especially in the competitive world where you know there's there's rules and correct ways that things are meant to be done so as a couple on the floor not competing not performing but just dancing together for the sake of dancing and feeling connected I think there's quite a bit of freedom um, and playfulness like I said that conversation can kind of go anywhere but but I will still say that I, I think modern dance is, is kind of the most freeing form to me. I think our background, though, starting with modern and, and, and jazz and being soloists, that actually allows us to uh, tell the story uh, in a different way than, than those who are just ballroom instructors. You know what I mean? It's a completely different world. Like we said, when we went in for that interview, we were ready to, like, stretch it out. We had, you know, we were going to take our right. shoes off. We had our sweat, <laughs> sweatpants on. And then she, of course, expected us to be like pretty much dressed like bank tellers. That's what I used to say when we worked there for like five years. I'm like, I feel like a bank teller. I don't feel like a dancer. Um, and I don't know how many times I've ripped the seat of my pants, you know, doing a doing a lift with a, a girl. So I think because we have that background, it actually allows us to tell the story more so through the lens of modern and ballroom and you know whatever other styles we have. Uh, in our in our tool bag but uh it, it's definitely uh it's more freeing especially with the shows that we were, we've written we don't stay uh strictly to one particular style uh, we kind of venture out and, and use it as almost like paint colors you know for our canvas mm-hmm. right right <clears throat> well and just do you <clears throat> for i'm gonna don't let me forget i want to get to your projects like your new um projects but i just was wondering do you think that modern dance caused the kind of dance culture to devolve, maybe not devolve, evolve um, in the sense that, you know, my first experience dancing, like really dancing was at a club, right? I mean, I was just like, yeah. it was totally free. I wasn't dancing with anybody, but I was dancing, man. You know, I was <laughs> getting on. Yes. And so, um, there was no steps. It was all about just feeling the music, feeling the beat, um, and just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of <clears throat> allowing myself to succumb to that um, rather than any kind of like orchestrated or choreographed um, movement. Um, do you think that has had an impact, you know, historically, culturally on the fact that um, more traditional kind of ballroom dancing has fallen away from um, popular culture? Um, you know, I, I think, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question exactly, but I'm going to tell you where it took me anyways. Um, I think what's happening culturally is that dance has become just for dancers. I don't know mm-hmm. if that sounds silly, but it's like, 
it's for the dance enthusiasts who are actually dance students who actually go to dance studios and have dance bumper stickers on their cars and you know like mm -hmm. dancers yeah. and it, and dance has become less accessible to the average you know don and jane who don't consider themselves dancers but a hundred years ago would have known how to dance that would have right. been like you right. said a part of their social their social cultural norm and so I think to me, that's kind of what has happened even across the genres, whether we're talking modern or jazz or hip hop or ballroom. Um, I just think it's a little less accessible for non-dancers. I'll be honest, it's actually one of the areas I think in our marketing that we're struggling because we've created this, this online series called Dance Dates that is designed for couples to dance and connect together. But it's a beginner's program and it's not for people who consider themselves dancers. And so it's like, how how do you find that person who who is has a spark of interest about learning to dance, but but don't consider themselves a dancer or a dance enthusiast? You know, so we're trying to open it back up to those people or go, you know, dance is for everybody. Whether you just want to get out on the floor and shake your tail feathers without any structure or rhyme or reason, great, please do it. Or if you want to learn a little bit more, like, so I, I feel like that's kind of what's happening with with dance. Yeah. In the culture right now. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I do. So tell me about your projects. I know Anna is, you know, because of COVID, can't be performed. Um, why don't you tell us about that? And then tell us about the new projects that you're working on. Um, besides, you know, the, the teaching of dance. Sure. So, Anna, experience Anna is, um, it's so sad. This is our first year. We haven't run the show in five years. Um, so we, we wrote a, a short show. It was meant to be sort of like a, a hybrid of a haunted house and a play. It was a walkthrough experience, about a 40-minute show. And we wrote that and, and premiered that in 2015 in Eureka Springs. And I, to my heart's delight, we had rave reviews and we still do. And yeah. um, it's a really fun experience. We we set it back in the 1940s when, of course, dance was a bit more of the norm. Um, one of our friends and fans, um, <laughs> her review of, of our shows was murder and dancing. And it was so funny and we all laughed. And I was kind of like, well, it's more, it's more than that, right? <laughs> I, was like, I put a lot of thought into that script, you know. But then... Ever since then, I, I kind of lovingly just embrace it and go, oh my gosh, that's what we do. We do the horror genre is our favorite genre. And then we find ways to lace dancing into it that feels um, relevant and connected to the story. Um, so that's kind of what Anna became. So we didn't know that we would run it again, but we had such a, a great success with it. We ran it the following year. And then we decided to write a sequel to it, which is called Experience Anna Present Day. So it follows... Um, you know, essentially the same story, but it moves us forward about um, you know, what, 80, 80 years. years. Um, and we had great success with that one. We structured it a bit differently. It was not a walkthrough, but it was still quite um, intimate and immersive. And this year we started 2020 going, okay, we're going to write Anna 3. Let's do it. And then we actually went to New York in February. We're like, let's go see some great shows. Let's get inspired. Let's stretch our, our thinking and our creativity. And we came back and COVID happened and it kind of put a damper on writing Anna three just because it was, it was going to be a little bit larger cast and it just didn't come to be. And so 
Um, so that is the main reason we're not doing Anna this year. It's, it's just too intimate. It's a non-traditional form of theater. We're, we're very close to the audience members. Um, yeah, often sometimes whispering in their ears. Say that again. Tell listeners what the experience is so they kind of really um, can understand like so, what the experience of, yeah, because it is immersive. Yeah, so Anna 1940 and Anna present day use immersion a bit differently. Like I said, 1940 is a walkthrough. So you actually arrive and you're, you're jolted into the story immediately. You, you don't meet a box office lady, you meet a character. So you're immediately in story. Um, we love to toy with guests because sometimes they think it's based on a true story and we just don't deny it. Um, we've done things on purpose, like we put museum artifacts out that make you think like, wait, are these real artifacts? What is happening? Um, so we're kind of toying with you a little bit, <laughs> right from the get-go. Um, and then Anna, like I said, you kind of walk through, it's dark and it's spooky. You'll kind of, you know, actors will direct you into uh, a moment where it's like, okay, stand here and watch this scene unfold. And then, you know, blackout, strobe lights, ghosts. Now you have to move around the space again and watch as the rest of the story unfolds. Wow. Uh, Anna, too, we kind of do the same thing. The second you arrive, we're trying to mess with you and make you like, wait, is this what is happening right now? What's going on? Um, but it is a seated <laughs> show. Um, oh, okay. We wanted to do a full-length show, so it's two hours, and we weren't, um, we weren't prepared to make people stand for two hours, although I learned, we learned in New York that you can absolutely do that. You can make people stand for four hours, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we gave them chairs. But the story definitely still, it's happening in front of you, beside you, behind you, so close to you that you've got chills. Um, so it's immersive in that way. But it's, it, neither show is immersive in the way of, like, you don't affect the story. You're not a character in it. You don't right, do right. things that change the story. It's just happening very, you know, in very close contact with you, which is, of course, why it's nearly impossible to run the show this year. Right. Um, so that's the experience we created, um, and it's and super fun. Does... And so, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, go it's ahead. okay. Go. I try to. <laughs> so that's what we created for um, Anna. Experience Anna one and two, as as we call them, 1940 and present day. And as we move into our new project, we're kind of going, okay, well, what is the best of each of those? Because you know, every time you produce something, you want it to be better than the last thing you did. At least that's the goal. So we're kind of using those experiences to um, hone in on the best of what we know how to create and and create something new. Well, so and how does dance play into the performance? So into into Anna or into the new project? In Anna. So in um, in Anna one, because it's set in 1940, we actually build some scenes where there is a, a social gathering where it would have been totally normal for dancing to occur. Um, that's one of the ways we lace it in. Because what, I, I will say we don't do musical theater. It's not like you're watching a scene and then all of a sudden they're like singing and dancing just because. <laughs> like it's a little <laughs> more grounded than that. Okay, yeah. Um, and then we kind of, because we write in the, the spooky or the horror genre, we kind of use some of the freedoms of you know, the the haunted realm or the sleep or dream realms where mm -hmm. we can bring in these elements of, of dance and movement that, that kind of doesn't, it's like, wait, what's going on? You know, in that realm of being haunted and, and surrealism, we kind of, that's the other way we kind of lace it in. Okay. Yeah. To try and, and make, you know, we always want the dance to be like 
like a part of the story. We want it to be something that embellishes the experience and not just goes, why did they just do a dance number right there in the middle right. of this dramatic scene or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That was spooky. Let's tap. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your new project. So what's, what is it? What's going on with it? So it's not so, going to be Anna 3? It's not going to be Anna 3, I know. And we actually have quite a bit developed on Anna 3. So that's not to say she won't come to fruition, but not right now. She'll, she'll be back. She'll be back. Um, the new project is called I Haunt You, um, kind of a play on what when you see the, the imagery, you'll see how it's kind of play on I Heart You or I Love You, it's, but uh, it's I yeah. Haunt You. Um, it's, it's been in the incubator for a long time. So I would say 10 years ago, um, I got inspired by a show that I had seen from one of my college professors. He did a one-man show, and it was phenomenal. Like, I still get chills thinking about it. And it was just so inspiring to me. And I came home that day and told Raymond, I was like, hey, I want to see if you and I can hold the stage. Just the two of us. We were used to producing shows on 20 or 30 members at that time. Um, and I said, let's, let's see if just you and I can produce something and just you and I can hold a stage for, you know, 90 minutes or so. Yeah. And that became the idea. And it, the working title for literally the last 10 years has, has been duet. We just call it duet. That's never meant to be the show. Um, and for 10 years, every now and then we kind of surface it and put a few ideas in the bank and then talk about it. And then it gets put back on the shelf again. And this year, when we went to New York to see some shows and get inspired, we went with the question, okay, when we come home from New York, we will answer, are we going to write Anna 3 or are we going to write Duet? Mm. And we went to New York and one of the, the absolute best show I think I've ever seen was called The Woman in Black. And we didn't know much about it, but we distinctly chose shows that were kind of spooky in nature or immersive in nature, you know, kind of our yeah. genre. And we saw The Woman in Black and I just, I think we were both just, I, I'm in love. I want to see it every day. Um, and it just so happened, we had no idea that that show was two players and that was it, just two actors wow. in the whole show. Yeah. And it was our, our favorite show that we saw the whole time we were there. And so we came home going, I think, you know, we, we were feeling the draw toward writing duet and then COVID happened and we were like, okay, I think it's confirmation. I think we're supposed to write duet. It's finally time. It's been 10 years. Yeah. So, um, We've kind of honed in on our genre. Like you said, you know, we, we love the spooky genre. And, of course, we're dancers, so we're always going to find a way to write dance and, and a lot of, you know, body. And not that it's always dance, but um, that's kind of an element we're going to be playing within the new show. I'm not even quite sure how to say it. It's kind of between the worlds of, of traditional blocking, just like an actor blocking a scene, and dance. There's these elements. Um, like pantomiming. Yeah, or pantomiming. Um, we're trying to write the show in such a way that there is basically no set, like almost zero yeah, set, yeah. um, which is a logistical choice. But because of that, it's it's really forcing us to be creative and it's bringing about an element that I, I just don't think we would have added or, or come into creative creatively if we hadn't put a limit, a logistical limit of saying zero set items. And so the body is now like, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Like, there's a scene in the in the show where uh, the woman steps into a clawfoot bathtub. There is no bathtub. And so imagine, you know, she has to step over the edge just so and has to grip the edge of a tub that isn't there and then lean back into her climbed tub, holding the crap out of her core 
while delivering lines naturally, <laughs> like she's relaxed in a hot bathtub. Yeah. So, you know, we're playing with devices like that where what we're, um, we've been talking about it kind of being a lot like reading a book. You know, when you read a book, the, the author gives you all the descriptions, all the words on the page, but there's no picture. And so your mind has to fill in all those details. We're kind of writing this show in that way where, of course, there is going to be some visual, but there's so many details that your mind is going to have to paint in for you as a viewer. And so I think we're having, I think that's going to be a really cool experience for the audience. Um, and it's, it's turning out to be a really fun process for us to create. That's awesome. So do you, when do you think that you might, that might open? Mm-hmm. Um, what, do, what are you thinking? Are you thinking 21 or 22? Mm, 22. He's thinking 22. It's actually, I would say it's been really nice, like not having a, a premiere deadline, which we typically do, which yeah. is great because it like mm. makes you get in gear and get it done. But what's happening with this process is it's moving at the pace of creativity rather than the pace of the calendar, like deadline. Yeah. Um, oh, so cool. it's, it's really fun to move at at that pace and be inspired when you're inspired and not force writing or choreography when you're not inspired um so i think i think it will be ready um in 2020 probably the beginning of 2022 this is also the first show we're having some original music produced for um yeah so there's it's it's going to take some time but it's actually coming along really well the story follows um four different couples it's it's sort of um it's a supernatural love story and it's it's got some really cool layers it's, i think it's hitting on some some deeper uh topics i i lost my father last year and so that you know puts you in a spiral of spiritual questions and yeah. what's happening in the afterlife and and all of those things so i think we touch on a lot of those layers in the story and yeah it's a spooky love story it's going to be really fun Oh my gosh, I want to see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm thinking with minimal sets, and especially the way the world is right now, and you know, as far as indoor spaces, with with a minimal set or no set, you can perform it outside or you know, in um in a different way too. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. not to say you should do it tomorrow, but. You know, I mean, there <laughs> there are advantages to um, to not be so reliant on set pieces to tell mm-hmm. the story and for the movement to actually tell the story. Um, yeah, we wanted to. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Chad. No, no, no. Uh, we wanted to be to produce a show that could be taken on the road easily. If you know, if we decided we wanted to do that, and you know, the shows we've written before, there's giant doorways and a couch that's super important and it's got to be that couch and there's a table and it's got to be that table. You know, there's all right, these, right. these things that have really specific functions. And it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, you could do it. You could put it all in a trailer and go, but we're trying to go with that minimalist approach. Like, can I pack all of my costumes in one bag, another bag of props and, and hit the road and take this show with us? And so that's kind yeah. of where the logistical constri- um, constraints came in. But like I said, those constraints are actually, you know, on the other end, amping up the creativity. So I think it's going to be really cool. So so we do hope to travel with this a bit when the world um, finds its new normal or its old normal, whatever that is going to be. <laughs> definitely not. And it will, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be able to perform in, in non-traditional spaces, which is kind of something we've, we've always done with Anna. You know, it doesn't need to be a theater with a, st- in fact, we prefer it not be a stage with, you know, traditional raked seating because we like to get closer to our audience than that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we have five minutes left. I just, first off, I want to say, if you want to find out more uh, about Emily and Raymond and their classes that they're doing right now online, um, you can go to melonlight.com. That's melonlight.com. And I would, I was thinking, well, I just lost my train of thought. Oh my gosh. That's annoying. I was thinking <laughs> about, <laughs> um, oh, that's it. I wanted to ask you where, where Melonlight came from. Where what? Oh, where Melonlight came from, the name. Okay. Yeah. Um, so go back to high school now. We were 16. We had become super good friends. I don't even know. I think we'd started dating at, yeah, that we couple, at that point. Yeah, we started dating our senior year in high school. And we were both on such the dance class. I think we both knew it. We said, I, dance has to be our career in, in some form or fashion. Let's do this. And I said, I wanted to open a studio. I think, right? I told you that. Yeah, she, was, she had platinum blonde dreadlocks at the at the time, and we were in health class because Lord, we needed to finish health classes in order to graduate. Right. And uh, so I'm <laughs> rolling her hair, rolling her hair with wax, and uh, getting in trouble for uh, braiding. I say that with quotation marks, braiding my girlfriend's hair. <laughs> and uh, she just she just looks back and she goes, "I want to have a dance studio with you, and I want to call it Melon Light." And I knew exactly what she meant at the time. Um, and I said, okay. And I mean, it's, it's been that plan ever since. So melon light to me was, um, it was a play on the expression of to be in the limelight. Um, Uh, and so I just, it just changed to the fruit, you know, it's like, we'll, we'll just create our own light and underneath that light, we'll do whatever our creative, creative heart desire to do. And so we just renamed it, decided under the melon light, we can do anything under the limelight. You got to do. I don't know. Whatever you got to do. Our, our <laughs> students have coined themselves melon heads now, so we, we like that too. <laughs> do you have a, a special affinity for melons? Uh, we didn't <laughs> at first. <laughs> you know, what's funny is we love to get melons and like do photo shoots with them in ridiculous yeah, ways. It's not our favorite fruit. <laughs> but it's not our favorite fruit to eat. It's really not. No. I don't know why it was melon that I came up with that time. I really don't know. But it's it's always been. That's always been the, the name it was meant to be. So that was when we were 17 that I said that to him in health class and we opened the studio um, when we were 25. We had no idea that oh, wow. would be a ballroom dance studio. Yeah, we didn't know that. We didn't realize our specialty would be partnership dance, but. Ah, I love it. it oh gosh, I'm so sorry we're out of time. I can talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> any, any final words in the last two minutes you want to share? Um, you know, I know that this podcast is a lot for, for creativity and inspiration and i just want to say push through like if you're out there producing or creating or writing something keep going even when you hit the block like right through the block just keep writing just keep writing just keep writing and i know for us like for me personally i will spend months daydreaming in my head before a pen ever hits a page and to not devalue the time to just play inside of your own mind the incubation phase to just be okay with that. There's work being done inside the mind, even if you don't feel like, where where's the pages? Where's the play? Where's the thing that's done? Where's the blog? Like, it's okay to play in your mind and let that creativity like swirl around in there and do your thing. But don't stop being creative. Is my two cents for the world. Awesome. 
Ah, great talking to you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And um, I can't wait to see you guys in person. I need to learn how Likewise. to Likewise. <laughs> that would be great. And I'd love to give you a hug. You right. gave me chills. You made me sad. You said you miss hugs. I do too. I know. <laughs> Thankfully, I can hug my sister and my nephews. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So I at least get those. Good. But, um, but yeah, the human connection, I think that I think everyone's kind of experiencing this this time of, wow, it's really important for us to, to connect with each other through voice, through touch, through dance, through art. You know, I mean, I really feel like a, a renaissance is at hand, and so um, I so appreciate you guys being here, and um, and thank you. Thank you so much, Chad, for having us. It's such a pleasure. We really appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank and a good you. weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's face the music. And I... Yeah.